0: All right, if you would join me and open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. and I'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 17. Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come, that He should depart from this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again. He said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Father, this is your word. It is life. It is truth. It is love. And it points us to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, The altogether lovely one, the Prince of Peace, the Redeemer. So now, Holy Spirit of God, grant that this word and that the words that proceed from my mouth would direct every eye to see him seated at the right hand of the Majesty, that every ear would hear his voice, that every heart would feel his presence and know his care. We pray this, Father, for his sake and in his name, the name that is above all names, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I've titled this message, You Will Know, subtitled The Confidence, The Compassion, and the Commission of Jesus. So what's happening in this passage in John's Gospel is, Jesus and his disciples have entered Jerusalem for what would be his last time. The Lord himself, according to verse 1, knows that his time has come, that the hour is near, that he should depart from this world to the Father. He knows, according to verse 3, that the Father has placed all things into his hands. He knows that he has come from God. He knows that he is going to God. He knows that his mission on earth is coming to its climax. His disciples, however, are unaware of what's going to transpire over the next several hours. And so Jesus begins to prepare them for what will come. Despite the extraordinary trial that he himself is facing, as the battle against Satan comes to a head, Jesus takes time to celebrate the Passover meal with his closest followers. And then at the end of the supper, he does something really unusual to illustrate for his disciples what he has been doing all along and what he is about to do as he completes God the Father's plan. And at this most crucial time, in the face of a tragedy that will never be paralleled in the history of the world. When emotions are high and pressures and temptations press in, Jesus gives his followers and us an example. It's a lesson in Jesus's confidence, in his compassion, and at the end in his commission to his disciples, of which we are. As we look in our mind's eye into that small upper chamber, and we watch the Lord as he attends his followers, we need to pay attention to what he himself found the most critical for his disciples. Because in the day we live in, we need to know what's most important. So first, I want to turn to the confidence that Jesus has, not in his own ability, but in who he is and in who sent him. He reminds us that his confidence is not in his humanity. His confidence is in the person of God the Father. Again, in verse 1 and in verse 3, he remembers that it is God himself that has sent him into the world. John chapter 3 verse 16, God's love for the world was so great that he sent his son, not so that the world could be judged, but so that the world through him could be saved. He remembers with confidence his father's mercy towards sinners, as in his life he watched the rains fall on the godly and the ungodly. He woke every day and he opened his eyes and he saw a world just like we see that is dark, and has rejected the Father. And yet, in his loving kindness and his mercy, he allows this world to continue to exist. He remembers and he has confidence in his Father's enabling grace. Because yes, even the man, Jesus, needed the Holy Spirit's power. He's reminded of the confidence he has in the faithfulness of his Father. That when everything around him is at its darkest moment, we see him reach to his Father and ask that his Father's will would be done. We see all of God the Father's divinity on display in the confidence of Jesus Christ as he faces not only this moment, but what will ensue in his life on this earth over the next 48 hours. But not only was his confidence in the person of God, his confidence was in the plan of God. Because you see, just as Jesus, as he walked on the earth at this moment in his life, looked to understand the circumstances, he had the same book that we have that explained that God's plan was at work. You see, Jesus understood that he was the seed of the woman who God had promised in the opening chapters of Genesis that would crush the head of the serpent. He understood that he was the spotless lamb that would be provided at the altar of sacrifice for Abraham. He understood that he was the substitute for fallen mankind. He understood that he was the second and the final Adam where the first had failed. He understood that he was the king who would be appointed to David's throne and whose rule will have no end. He understood that he is the redeemer of sinners and the restorer of creation, the creation that God had made very good. God's plan was unfolding. God's plan had been continuing, and Jesus had confidence that God's plan would come to its fulfillment. not only was his confidence in the person and the plan that God had, his confidence was in the promises that God had given. We see that as he hangs on the cross and declares it's finished, as he lays down his life, and then he takes it up again by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. His resurrection and his ascension were assured. And the psalmist had written, Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot a vain thing? Do they not know I have appointed my king? He is seated on his throne. Do they not know that death and corruption will not see his body? That God would raise him from the dead. He had confidence in those promises. He had confidence in the promise of God that all authority would be put under his feet and that he would be appointed as the judge of all. Confidence that one day his name will be declared above all names and every tongue and every mouth will confess that he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He knew this. He knew as he entered that upper room He knew as he entered Jerusalem. He knew as this trial would come. He knew who he was. And he was confident not in himself, but in his father. And he was confident in his father because his father had written the word that he could trust, just as he has given us today the word that we trust. Not only the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, but our Bibles. These truths and these confidences that Jesus had enabled him to see beyond the situation that he found himself in. And enabled him, as Hebrew, the writer of the Hebrews would, would say it, it enabled him with joy to look beyond the cross, to look beyond the tragedy, to look beyond the shame, to look beyond the pain, to look beyond the travesty that would be committed against him to look beyond the people that would actually nail him to a cross, that would scourge him, that would pull the facial hair out of his face and stick a crown of thorns on his head. He was able to see past them because he knew that his God had a plan and he had made a promise and he himself was going to fulfill it. The question for us is, Do we have that confidence today? You've been watching the news, I'm sure, the things going on in this nation, the things going on in our city. They can easily press in, just like when you imagine the Lord Jesus at this moment, he faces the greatest threat that we will ever face, death. He faces the greatest enemy, Satan. He comes to the precipice where he knows in this room is the one who will betray him. And yet, he's confident in his Father's mercy, in his Father's grace, in his Father's plan, and in his Father's promises. Are you, in your world, in your trial, in your circumstance, in your situation, are you confident in God? Not in yourself, in God. Are you confident in his plan? His plan is for your good. Do you believe that? His promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. The work that he has begun, he will complete. These are the promises. There is therefore for you today no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. He is preparing a place for you in his heaven and you will forever be with him. Are you confident of that? Because you need to be confident in God and in his plan and in his promises. You need to have faith because that's how Jesus lived. Secondly, I want to note his compassion. Having established that at this moment in time, He knew who he was. He knew where he was going. He does something spectacular. It's so familiar to us that we don't appreciate it. But in that upper chamber, he raises himself up from the dinner table. He sets aside his garments. He wraps himself in a servant's towel. He pours water into a basin and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. His compassion in this moment is is astounding. I want you to think, at this moment, again, the disciples, they're completely unaware of what's going on. They don't know what's going to take place in the next few hours. And in their ignorance, they sit there enjoying the Passover feast, talking amongst themselves, who knows what they were discussing. But they see Jesus get up from the table. And he goes over and he puts on the garb of a bondservant. And he comes to them. He comes to, just think, Thomas. He comes to Thomas, the doubter. Thomas, the one who couldn't believe without seeing. He couldn't believe the testimony of the other disciples when they told him that he was alive. He couldn't believe the Old Testament writings of Moses and the prophets that said that the servant would suffer and be raised again on the third day. He couldn't believe. He had to see it. And there sits Jesus washing his feet. And then he moves on and he washes the feet of Peter We get a lot of detail about Peter, Peter the denier, Peter who was self-reliant, Peter who had pride that ran deep, Peter who had worldly wisdom, street cred, tells the Lord, you'll never wash my feet. At least Peter at some level understood who he was, He couldn't see the Lord washing his feet. He didn't find himself worthy. Certainly there must be another way. Peter who would deny him in the courtyard when he feared for his life. Peter the denier. And there sits Jesus washing his feet. And probably the most amazing act of mercy and grace is when he washes the feet of his betrayer. Judas is in the room when this is happening. Satan has already put it in his heart to sell Christ for 30 pieces of silver you see, Judas' treasure was on earth and it wasn't in heaven and that's where Judas's heart was. He put himself before God and in doing so, he betrayed him. And yet, the scripture tells us that Jesus knelt before Judas and washed his feet. that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is the compassion of the Lord Jesus. I'd remind you again, he knows at this point what is going to become. He knows the people that he is washing the feet of. And he reminds Peter as he interacts with Peter that he doesn't understand what he's doing. But he tells Peter something. In that verse, in verse 7, when him and Peter are talking, he says, you don't get it. That's my paraphrase. (laughs) But you'll know after this. You'll know. You'll know, Peter. But while it's happening, you don't understand. So can we wash the feet of the people in our lives that are doubters? The ones that want the evidence, prove it. Are you willing to wash the feet of deniers? Those who think that they can make it in God's heaven on their own merit. Those who can't see beyond the reality of what is in this world to the true reality of what is eternal. those that are betrayers, those that's heart are sold on the treasure of this earth and are trapped and ensnared in darkness by the spirit of the age. Are you willing to wash their feet? And do you know why? Why would you sit at the feet of someone who is the enemy of Christ and wash his feet. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He finishes the foot washing. Verse 12. He takes up his garments He sits down, and he says to them, do you know what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, so I am. Do you understand what it is that I've done? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and you say rightly, because I am. He is back in the garments that he had taken off when he girded himself as a bond slave. When he sat at their feet and washed the dust and the dirt. And he has now finished that task and put back on his garment. And he is now seated at the table in the position that he had as the leader of this group, as teacher and as Lord And he says, that is who I am. Now do you understand what I've done? If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. This is the commission that he gives to them. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Happy are you if you do them. This is a beatitude statement. Blessed are those who are willing to wash the feet of the doubters and the deniers and the betrayers. Blessed are those who realize that they are not greater than the Lord Jesus himself. I am sending you into this world. He reminds them, as he closes out this episode that John gives us, that they need to have confidence in him. That they need to have confidence in his person, in his plan, and in his mission. Verse 3 reminds us that Jesus knew he had all authority. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, all authority on heaven and earth is mine. God has appointed a judge. And he has appointed a time when that judge shall judge all the living and the dead. Those that are beyond salvation shall be judged by the man Christ Jesus. All authority is his. There is no authority on this earth that is outside of his superintendence. There is no government that he doesn't allow to exist. It's all his. Do we have confidence in him? Do you have confidence in his plan? Do you have confidence in his promise? He goes on in this passage to tell them to fear not. It's better for you that I leave, for I'll send the helper. You believe in the Father, believe ye also in me. I go to prepare a place for you and surely I will come back so that you can be with me forever where I am. You believe. Do you have confidence in his promise, Peter? Do you have confidence in his plan? Do you have confidence in him to do what he says he's going to do? That he is all-powerful. He is all-loving. He is all-merciful. He is patient. He's all in all and everything. This is the commission that he gives to his disciples. And this example that he extends to them would be brought to its fulfillment within hours. As Jesus would be taken... He would be tried, he would be beaten, and he would be crucified for the sins of many. This man, the man Christ Jesus, who lived a perfect, sinless life, who emptied himself of the glory of heaven and took upon himself the form of a bond slave, would willingly subject himself to the cruelty of sinful men and lay down his life, allowing himself to be made sin for us. And with his sacrifice, he has propitiated the wrath of God against you and against me. And with his own blood, he has washed your feet. He's made you clean. And he now sends you And he commands all people everywhere to repent. In his divine wisdom, the Lord Jesus Christ has sent the church, me and you, as his representatives in the world. And he's commissioned you and me, just as he did those twelve disciples, in that small room, to go and do what he himself did. And that is to wash the feet of the lost. Are you and I willing to do that is the question. Jesus said, as God sent me, as the Father sent me, so now I send you. How does he send us? As the Father sent him. How did he send him? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world that those who believe upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but so that through him the world might live. The world might be saved. The Lord did not come to separate and hurt. He came to heal and to repair. He came to seek the lost sheep and bring them back into the sheepfold. He came to serve and not to be served. And he illustrates that in this upper chamber at one of the most crucial points in his earthly life, he takes the time to remind us, no matter how dark the horizon looks, serve. Be willing to have the mind which Paul the Apostle writes, have the mind which was in Christ Jesus. that being equal with God, he did not consider it robbery. He did not consider it something to be clung to. But he willingly set aside his glory. And he became a man. He became a bondservant and lived a life of sorrow and pain and rejection and then subjected himself to the people he came to save and willingly gave up his life have that mind in you that mind that mind that when you look out to your left and you see a nail being driven into your hand your tendency is to condemn, to judge to seek justice to seek retribution the Lord's Approach was different. He cried out, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. They don't know. Peter didn't know. But he prayed for him. Peter, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat. Just imagine that, to be sifted by Satan. But Peter, I've prayed for you. And I'm going to restore you. Thomas didn't know. Judas certainly didn't know. None of them knew. But Jesus knew. He knew that the Messiah had to suffer and die. But he also knew that God's promises were certain and that he would be raised and that God's plan will be fulfilled. So as God has sent us into the world, We need to have the mind of Christ Jesus. As Paul explains it, do nothing out of selfish ambition or desire, but esteem others more than yourself. For it's God, the Father, who desires that none should perish. It is God, the Father, who takes no desire in the death of even a sinner. It's God the Father that wants them all to come to repentance. It's God the Father that initiated the plan to send his Son to redeem the world. And it's God the Father and God the Son who have sent us the Holy Spirit. It's God the Holy Spirit who works through the church, not so that the church can glorify itself, but so the church can just point. Look to him. Look to Him. Look to Him who died on the cross. Look to Him who gave up everything for you. So help us to remember this. This is what Peter now knows. This is what Peter in verse 7 didn't understand. But he now knows. That when the Lord Jesus hung on that cross... It was the fulfillment of him setting aside his garments and washing Peter's feet. It was something very simple, something that I could do in this room right now that would completely escape you. Hours later, he would completely show what that really means. And just as he promised, Peter knows now. And we know that because of the day of Pentecost. If you read in Acts chapter 2 and 3, you'll see Peter understood what happened. He understood that it was God's plan. It was God's provision. It was God's promise. It was the Lord Jesus' sacrifice. It wasn't an accident. It was a purpose. And his confidence and his compassion and his commission stands. So I pray God gives us the grace to walk in it. Father, I thank you that we see this passage, Lord, the tension, the tightness in the chest when we think about that upper room. When we think about these men who are just like us, Lord, they were human, Peter and Thomas, Uh, Matthew, the one um, who wrote one of the Gospels, Lord, these men were in this upper chamber, and they saw you, and you told them you were going away, and their hearts were breaking, and they were fearful. Lord, it's no different for us. We are tempted, and we are challenged, but Lord, we have the same thing that your son had. We have your truth, and more than that, Father, we have him. So, Father, help us. We need grace. We can't do it apart from you, Father. We recognize that. We confess it freely. But, Lord, our desire is to see his name lifted up, to see people call out on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, to know that you are celebrating another salvation as you build your church. Help us to do that. And I thank you that you will, because that's your promise. Glorify your Son on this earth and in heaven, for he is worthy. We pray this again, Father, not for ourselves, but for him, for his sake and for his name. And I thank you that you'll answer. Amen.